If you enjoyed the channel and our video content and would like to support us, you can do this in a couple of ways. You can sign up to our Patreon site, which is a monthly subscription to one of our four tiers, each giving you something different from early access interviews up to exclusive unseen footage. There's also the option of a one-off donation via PayPal, which allows you the option to donate an amount of your choice. Both options really help to keep this channel going and to continue putting out regular content for you good folk. So please take a look at aircurrentreview.tv forward slash donate and I thank you in advance. Thank you and enjoy. Um, I'd done my two tours on uh, on the Buccaneer. The tornado was due to come into service. It was obviously the the you know the step to take. You want to go on to the next shiny new aeroplane. Yeah. Um, but I was actually posted to the nav training school, and I really <laughs> didn't want to do that. So I uh, I prevailed upon my flight commander to make representations. Uh, so the posting was then changed to go on to uh, the third tornado squadron mm -hmm. back in 1982. Nice. So what were your first thoughts on the Tornado? It is a good looking jet, I have to say. Uh, it was a bit short, I thought. Um, <laughs> it looked a bit stubby, uh, but it did look nice. And certainly the cockpit looked, it looked modern. It looked electric, electronic. Um, it looked like it could do the job. Mm -hmm. uh, and indeed it could. So what, yeah, what was the role of the Tornado when it entered the service? Uh, when it came in, it was exactly the same as the Buccaneer. It was uh, strike attack, so nuclear and conventional weaponry, but day and night, all weather. The Buccaneer really had a very limited all-weather role. It was nuclear only, mm -hmm. whereas we could take conventional bombs and deliver them accurately. Brilliant stuff. So can you talk us through some of your ground and flying training on the Tornado? Yeah, I went through the uh, the Triple T at Cottesmore. Uh, I think I went through on the German squadron, and I, and I flew with an Italian pilot. <laughs> it was great. It was a, it was a more relaxed environment than an, an RAFOCU. Uh, more uh, structured. If you went in in the morning and you were due to fly at eight o'clock, as I remember on several occasions I was and the weather wasn't suitable, that was it. You wouldn't fly for the day. Whereas on an RAFOCU, they would jiggle things around a little bit. So it was a bit more relaxed, but lots of fun and nice working with the other two nations. Yeah, how did you get on like with nations? Was there like a cultural kind of divide there? Uh, not really. There was a bit of a language barrier. Um, German guys generally spoke really good English. <laughs> Some of the Italians had done a, a, a relatively limited English language course and had just finished their training. Um, but no, we, we worked together well and we, we mixed together well. Mm -hmm. uh, I haven't kept in touch with any of them, but I have nothing but good memories of my time there. Yeah. Why was it based in the UK and not Italy or Germany? Oh, for instance? Some sort of political decision, I don't right, know. Yeah. How, many, how many jets were there? It must have been a fair few. I think there were probably around 30. I would guess we had about 10 on each squadron. There was a British, an Italian right. and a German squadron. Pretty cool. Yeah. So can you talk us through the cockpit of the Tornado and was it anything similar to the Buccaneer? No, not really. <laughs> it was uh, it was well laid out, yeah. uh, certainly for the start. It was dominated by a, a moving map and radar display, a big round display. 
and that was great. And then two TV displays, which are a bit high. I would have preferred those lower, only so that the forward view would have been a bit better. Did all the systems work like pretty well uh, from back in the day for the new technology? Um, well, our usual raft of teething troubles and a bit of a shortage of spares at times. Uh, Aeroplanes were coming into service faster than the, the spares uh, supply system would uh, would deliver them um, but when it worked it worked really well and I mean really well I did a, a, a green flag exercise at Nellis Air Force Base and the system would would show accuracy to 60 feet and after an hour and a half I landed back at Nellis and it was 60 feet out wow. it was incredible. and I'd not touched it it was phenomenal when it when it worked yeah, yeah. it was really good before we move on, because you mentioned green flag there, can you talk us about this? Because I think you won the first tornado uh, flag, weren't you? Yes. Yeah, green flag was a sort of electronic version of red flag. Um, and of course, the, the tornado had a really comprehensive electronic warfare suite. We had a, a, a big, capable jamming pod and a big, I think it was a Swedish chaff and flare pod. I think we could dump as much chaff as any aeroplane except the B-52. <laughs> um, and we were cleared to, to use it and we had a, a good radar warning receiver. Uh, so the idea was we were supposed to go there and fly moderately high for a low-level aeroplane. I think they wanted us to fly at 750 feet. Uh, we didn't. Because um, part of our rationale was that the lower you were, the less chance you were uh, that you had of being detected. Yeah. We didn't want to be detected because the electronics wouldn't work all the time necessarily. Mm -hmm. um, you know, frequency agility and things is often difficult to keep up with. Yeah, yeah. And did you, what aircraft were there on that flag? And did you work with the F-111s or anything like that? Yeah, we did. I um, you know, there were big packages. We had everything from F-5s to F-18s. Nice. And the packages would be, would be mixed. Um, you'd have wild weasel support, so they would go in ahead. Uh, fighters overhead to counter the red air. Uh, and that happened, uh, that happened every day apart from one. And on one day, the weather was poor. So that's it. <laughs> they said, right, we're not flying. And what our boss said, excuse, excuse me, yeah, <laughs> we can TFR. So off we oh, went yeah. on our own into the range, auto TFR. And again, there were no confirmed kills against us. Really? Uh, yeah. So it was well. really satisfying to be the only ones out there. I think we flew a six ship that day. And to be the only ones out there, out in the range, and have all of the threats uh, against you and still to come back knowing we delivered the weapons on target because that's all filmed and uh, and had landed back largely unscathed that's amazing mm. i think you sent me a picture did you win a, a bombing competition or something like that Which... that was a little bit later about later? a year later yeah and that was um uh, against the USAF Strategic Air Command. It yeah. was there. They have this annual competition. Uh, it's about improving their ability to deliver nuclear weapons. And the RAF had been invited the year before with the tornado and had gone over and won it. And uh, I think it took the Americans a bit by surprise. <laughs> they invited the RAF a second time and 27 Squadron uh, was tasked to go over there. I don't think the Americans were quite as accommodating as they had been the first time. Um, what, just because you won the first time? I think, yeah, I think it was a, a, a bit of a shock. <laughs> but they they lost our flight plans. We had, I mean, one of my best memories is a, a very attractive young lady turned up. I was on my own in the planning room, and she turned up with this plate of home-baked cookies and she had on a flying suit with a zip and down and she wanted some basic information 
Yes. Yeah, go on. I didn't we fall for you. that. Yeah. yeah. I did take the cookies and I kept her talking for a few minutes before sending her on her way. And we enjoyed the cookies very much. Yeah, yeah. How long were you over there for? <laughs> oh, we like... were over there for, must have been two or more months. And were you on base or were you living Yeah, outside? we were on a, an Air Force base, living off in a hotel, but, uh, but working on the base. It was quite a an intense time, six days a week. And the, wow. the sorties were six and a half hours long. So we had a number of practice sorties. Obviously, we had to get used to the operating area. Uh, then a number of practice sorties, and then the competition sorties themselves. And it was day and night flying. So you didn't uh, really get time for yourself? Oh, we got a little bit. Yeah, we right. got a little bit. You can't, you can't work for that length of time, six days a yeah. week. Not, not to maintain a level of performance, which mm -hmm. is what we had to do. So yeah, we did get time to look around and take it easy. Uh, and the guys who weren't competition crews, who were four and two reserve competition crews, uh, they had a you know a little bit more time to uh, to go around and see things. Nice stuff. So getting back uh, to talking a bit more about the tornado, could you feel the power with the reheats coming from the book, or was oh, there no difference? Oh there? no, there was. There was right. a lot of power with the reheat. You really could feel it. Um, dry power, it, it just didn't feel right. But you. You know, you get a real kick up the backside with the reheating. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, even with stuff hanging on it, it was noticeable when it was clean. It was absolutely superb because it burned a lot of fuel. Did it really? Yeah. Even with like more modern engines? Oh, yeah. 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 I uh, mean, these are engines developed in the 1970s. So I'm sure yeah. they're, you know, they were better when the tornado went out of service in eight years or whatever it was, mm -hmm. 2019. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, you could really feel it. And if you needed it, it was great to have that power. Mm -hmm. I could imagine. So what were the strengths and weaknesses of the tornado? Oh, the, the kit. The kit. The ability to accurately bomb a, a point on the ground, something you couldn't see with your eye or on the radar, and to bomb it with, you know, accuracies of, of feet. And I don't mean 10 feet, I mean zero feet and time. Uh, and then to be able to do that in any weather. That and it was- That leap forward. Oh, it was, book, it yeah. was, it was huge. It just didn't have the range of the Buccaneer. It just didn't have the, the fuel, which is a shame. All right, but okay. you know there are swings and roundabouts. Absolutely. Did you ever conduct DACT in the tornado? I know it's an air to ground platform. Did you get bounced by other? Yeah, fighters? we we would always get bounced, um, and uh, it was it was part of operating in both the UK and in Germany. You know, if you were a fighter, you were on the lookout for a target, <laughs> and uh, if if you were that prospective target, you were always eyes out looking for the fighters and uh, you know it was a matter of personal pride not to get bounced unseen yeah um, you know I'm sure we all did um, but in I, I even remember bouncing an f-16 in a buccaneer really and he didn't see us and I was with our station commander at wow. the time that's incredible yeah, <laughs> yeah. so where would you fly uh, the tornado because <clears throat> I know like the Mac loops famous now was it still back then when the Mac it wasn't loop? called the Mac loop right but yeah there were there were places you would go but yeah wherever the weather was decent we weren't allowed to do much um, IMC low level in uh, uh, in peacetime, it was always difficult. We had to go elsewhere for that. So it was wherever the weather was uh, was suitable, uh, up into the Highlands, Scotland, into Wales, you know, wherever around the UK. And based at Marham, as 27 Squadron was, yeah. we had ready access to tankers. Yeah. So course. we could uh, we could top up on the way there or the way back. It was good training for them and us. 
So you also held a new crawl with a tornado. Can you tell us about this? And was it different from the book? Was there different procedures there? No, the procedures are exactly the same. What was interesting and, and challenging uh, on the tornado was because it was a new aeroplane, we had guys who came to the aeroplane with no nuclear experience whatsoever. Right. Guys came from air defense phantoms, lightnings, uh, UK uh, Jaguars, Harriers, training. Um, so probably half of the squadron had got no nuclear experience at all. Mm. The other half, people like me off the Buccaneer, we had people off the, the Vulcan, uh, the Germany Jaguars, we had nuclear experience. So the, the trick was to marry the, the non-experience with the experience and try and get everybody up to speed as quick as possible. Was that difficult like, if people <coughs> didn't have that experience beforehand? Not really. It, the, the processes were, were there. They were well laid out. We spent a lot of time on the training. I actually ran the training program to get us uh, strike uh, qualified as a squadron. Uh, everybody knew it was our primary role. Everybody knew it was incredibly serious. And everybody knew that you got one chance and you got it right or that was it. Um, and should a squadron ever have failed its its evaluation i suspect the squadron commander would have been fired on the spot really it was serious. that serious right. and, we, and we all took it that serious yeah absolutely so how many squadrons uh, held a nuclear qra uh, in the end on the tornado there were four bruggen i think three at larbrook um, but then there were other nato squadrons around um, i'm not sure if the canadians did the americans obviously did the dutch the germans um, the Belgians. So they, uh, there were a, a fair few aeroplanes on QRA at any one time. Mm -hmm. I think they say they were the best part of a hundred. That's probably about right. And did you ever meet up with other nations to discuss like the nuclear role or did you just get on with your own thing? Uh, we did meet them. We didn't really discuss it. Right. Uh, it was all fairly highly classified. There was a lot you weren't allowed to discuss. Even NATO? Yeah, right. Yeah, okay. uh, there was a lot you weren't allowed to discuss in the squadron. You weren't allowed to discuss your own target. We were, you know, we were allocated targets. Not every crew, but if you were one of the, uh, the, the, if you like, the select crews, you were allocated a target, and you studied that target. You certainly couldn't discuss it with anyone else. Mm -hmm. um, but what would happen is during an evaluation, a NATO evaluation, the evaluators would come in and. Uh, they were cleared, obviously they would ask you about your target, they, they would ask you about your weapons, your weapon delivery, and you had to know this thing almost uh, from memory. Uh, you weren't allowed to consult the map, you had to know how long it took you from takeoff to dropping the weapon, mm -hmm. you know, what the final waypoint was, what the two or three key features on that final run-in from the, wow. way, the final waypoint to the target, what your escape heading was. Wow. Uh, and what the weapon settings were. All that had to come from memory. And I think if I uh, remember rightly, someone said like during a test you had to get 100%. Oh, yes. Yes, there's not, yeah. not even 1% no. like margin. No, and the, and the test was really extensive. They would, uh, they would test you on a, a rig, a ground rig. It was done by different groups. But the ultimate test was the test of QRA itself. And NATO would come in and they would say... OK, I want that crew to cockpit redness. So you would get into the mm -hmm. cockpit and they would time you uh, to getting in the cockpit and you would check in. You'd then be stood down. And what would happen then is another aeroplane with weapons and crew would be generated and they would be allocated to the QRA role. Right. You and your aeroplane then would have the weapons taken off and practice weapons put on.
Mm. You would plan what was called an equivalent route, um, so a peacetime route around Germany or perhaps around the UK, but the same sort of length as uh, the real route and the same sort of target, and then you'd have to fly it. And what would happen is you'd start in the cockpit and they would launch you using nuclear procedures and they would chase you. They would follow you with another aircraft, usually one of your own, um, but sometimes another NATO nation's aircraft. And they would check that you didn't deviate from the route, that you did attack the target successfully. And the whole thing would culminate with dropping a practice bomb on the range because that would uh, use the aircraft's nuclear circuitry and that would demonstrate that you could meet the what's called ACE standards, the Allied Command Europe standards for both weapon delivery in terms of distance and time. And you had to achieve those. There wasn't any, it was close. Oh yeah. Yeah, wow. it was quite a stressful time. I can imagine. Did you practice uh, the conventional role as well or were you strictly a nuclear? Oh no, we practiced the conventional role and there was a lot of similarity. Um, the way we attacked targets was very similar. They were either level or loft deliveries. The difference was that the nuclear role, you were on your own. Right. Uh, you would get airborne as a singleton. You might get airborne as uh, one of a stream, but you were all going very quickly your own way to your own target. Whereas in the conventional role, there would be two, four, six, eight aeroplanes all going off to a target together. So a fair amount of mutual protection. Did JAG hold their nuclear role? I believe the JAGs did, did at, uh, down at Bruggen, yes. Yeah, right. So what was life like on 27 Squadron? It was a lot of fun. Uh, brand new aeroplane. We were, uh, to some extent, developing how best to use it. Uh, a lot of visitors, a lot of people wanted to come and see the aeroplane, which detracted from uh, getting ourselves operational mm. uh, and developing the operating procedures. Um, but a good bunch of guys. Yeah, we had a few uh, new guys, first tourists, but generally, a, you know, an eclectic background or backgrounds. Um, but a good bunch of guys, a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. So just talking about, about the tornado itself, um, did you, I mean, obviously you were in the back cockpit, but could you feel the wing sweep going back and forth? Oh, or yes. You could yeah. feel that, right? Yeah, you could. You could. And, and just occasionally you'd need to remind the guy in the front that actually <laughs> wings. This, at this speed, we ought to have the wings all the way back. And I, again, I remember uh, flying with OC Ops on, uh, on one sortie. I said, oh, 67 wings. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it would just be a bit uncomfortable flashing around really fast with the wings still sitting at uh, 45. Yeah. So uh, with uh, on 27, did you fl always fly with tanks on? Because I know the TTE, um, didn't they fly? Yeah, we flew, them, we flew yeah. them clean at Cottesmore, but yes, always with tanks on. Uh, always with tanks and always with the outboard stores. So the uh, jamming pod, the sky shadow jamming pod yeah. on one side and the Boz chaff and flare pod on the other side. Right, did you ever get to fly clean on 27? Only, uh, no, actually I didn't on 27. Really? I right. did on, on my last squadron, 14. I delivered yeah. an aeroplane back to Wharton for some work and, uh, and it was clean. Uh -huh. So we actually got to do a supersonic run over the, uh, the Irish Sea. <laughs> Lucky bugger. <laughs> so you're talking about 14 there, was there a big difference coming from 27 uh, or did you just fit straight in? Uh, straight in. I actually came, I, I went from 27 to the Tornado Operational Evaluation Unit mm -hmm. uh, and then on to 14, but I, I knew most of the guys on oh, 14, right, so certainly most of the senior guys. Yeah. Uh, 
Because I always think like we turn up to a squadron, it must be like your first year at school. You're a bit nervous, and uh, was it like that for you? No, not really, because no, you you do know them. And of course, on any strike squadron, they welcome you with open arms because the sooner your strike qualified, the sooner you take a bit of the load, particularly those bases that held QRA. Because mm -hmm. until you're strike qualified, you can't do QRA, mm. and that means everybody else is doing a bit more. Yeah. So it. that, you know, they want you in and strike qualified. So somebody like me coming from the strike role in Germany, uh, you know, it was great for them because they could get me up to speed very quickly and get me into QRA. So, again, you probably have many here, Terry, but can you share a few stories from your time on the tornado that stick out? Um, oh, yeah, there's, I mean, there are so many. Coming out of the mist at uh, HMS Invincible, but oh, I'm wow. sure they thought there was nobody going to be able to attack them. Out in the North Sea somewhere, it was an exercise. Uh, again, the tornado was so good for that. Um, and I, I, I'm convinced to this day that they thought we would just, you know, try to pull the wool over their eyes with our radio calls. <laughs> and then we came out of the mist at low level and, wow. uh, and flew by. Um, yeah, I, on the bombing competition, I think my last uh, the last competition sortie um, was into the Nellis Ranges to drop practice bombs. Nice. All the targets were what were called no-show. They were ge geographic points, yeah. nothing to mark them. And as we ran in, uh, I was marking a hilltop. And what we did is we measured the, if you like, the range and bearing, to put it simply, of the hilltop from the target and the system. You mark the hilltop, the system would point at the target. It's a bit more complicated than that, but that's a simple explanation. And as we ran in, Mal, my pilot, we're getting close, and he said, he said, there's something there. I said, I can't, but we'll keep going. And uh, as, we, as we released, he then turned, and we did a, a turn, not t too far a turn, uh, and a climb. We were climbing up to uh, meet the tanker and then go back to base. And I looked over my shoulder, and the point, the aiming point, was marked with a series of white sticks. They were probably about a metre high, and there was smoke from our bomb right in the middle of the wow. white sticks. <laughs> and I was absolutely convinced that we got it directed, and indeed we had. We, uh, we saw it a bit later. That's incredible. Uh, a few weeks later, to be honest. But yeah, no, that was really good. Um, yeah, things like that. But one of the other memories, again, uh, not that trip, but a very similar one, and it's not my memory. When you joined up with the tanker, the tanker took over the, the responsibility for navigation and timing. Uh, we were really critical on timing. And of course, the tanker, the Victor, had no kit at all. Right. Uh, we had time, I'll show you, to plus or minus one second. And the tanker took over responsibility and all the way down uh, through wherever it was we were going and the tanker, we were sitting there with my time early, late, just clicking back and forth <laughs> between one early, one late. And it was a navigator in the tanker working a circular Dalton computer. Really? Yeah, to keep the timing accurate. And he wow. dropped us off at the, at the release point, uh, bang on time. Uh, absolutely phenomenal piece of airmanship from him. That's incredible. Mm. So how many hours did you get on the tornado? Today? Oh, over a thousand hours on no. the tornado. <laughs> yeah. I was an hour badge in this one. <laughs> I have indeed, yeah. Yeah, I have. I, re I really enjoyed that. And I don't recall any of it I thought were just, you know, boring holes in the sky here. Yeah. It was really great. We've got some personal ones to wrap up the mm. interview here, Terry. So do you have any hobbies? I still fly. I fly a microlight. Um, 
but looking at the weather here, it's not <laughs> microlight day. I, I, I don't fly in poor weather. Uh, I mean, I can and I have flown my microlight in poor weather, but I look to fly when the sun's shining and the wind isn't very strong. And I, I just look to go to other farm strips. Um, and I happily take people. I do a lot of charity flights, raising nice. money for things like air ambulance. Uh, I've even done some of the British Legion. Uh, and I play a lot of pickleball. And what you're going that? to say, what's pickleball? Yeah, what pickleball, if you imagine tennis, right? Uh, it's a low net, a badminton sized court. Uh, the bat called a paddle is a bit bigger than a table tennis bat. And it's a wiffle ball, one of these hard plastic right. balls oh, with yeah. holes in. It's Britain's most uh, fastest growing sport. Is it really? Yeah, it is. It is. It's very enjoyable. And it, uh, it's a great sport for uh, men and women mixed because the way the, the ball, the paddle, and the rules are arranged, it takes away power as an advantage. Right. So it's about control of the ball, particularly control up close to the net. Pickleball, that's the first time I've ever heard that. Uh, so I'll look it up on YouTube. <laughs> Cheers for that, Joey. Favourite aircraft you have flown? Uh, I like the Shadow uh, Microlite. It was a tandem two-seat, but it was a real fighter cockpit, right-hand uh, stick, left-hand throttle. Uh, Tiger Moth, I think. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. I'd I always you were going to say a book. I did think you were going to uh, say a book. <laughs> I always wanted to fly the Tiger Moth from, oh, you know, teenage years. And uh, my 60th birthday, uh, my children bought me a, an hour in a Tiger Moth. I really enjoyed that. Brilliant yeah. stuff. Yeah. One you wish you could fly, either past or present? Uh, I think the Hurricane or the Mosquito. Either of those two. I've flown the Spitfire. Have you uh, really? Yeah. Yeah, again, I think the last 70th birthday, my children bought me a Spitfire flight. Um, I think probably of the two, the Mosquito. I think I'd quite like to have a go at the Mosquito. Yeah, be pretty cool, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah, it would. So we've got one from my old patrons here. Uh, this mm. is from Joe Kunzler. In the tornado, did you ever work with the IR pod? Uh, no. Uh, we, on the operational evaluation unit, did some work on it, um, but I never did. Uh, right. I tended to concentrate on uh, the electronic systems. Uh, and some of the navigation stuff. Mm -hmm. Not solely, but uh, certainly not on the IR pod. Mm -hmm. And can we find you online? Because I've seen some of your photos and they're brilliant. Are they available online anywhere? Uh, no, I, I, I don't have much of an online presence. If I don't have any of an online presence. Um, no, my, uh, my identity was stolen a few years ago. So I, I now restrict what I put online. Probably uh, perhaps, wise. perhaps being uh, too cautious, but just the way I am. Brilliant stuff. Well, Terry, thanks very much for coming on the show. You're very welcome, and thank you to you and all your patrons. You've brought back some wonderful memories for me, so thank you very much for that. Cheers.